I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, and if you've been tracking along with us uh, steadily through our series through this book of uh, Philippians, no, you, you need not worry, you haven't fallen asleep for three, wor- three weeks of the uh, worship service, we are jumping ahead to chapter 4, we're jumping ahead there because it is our, our time in the year where we consider these uh, stewardship and giving matters, and Paul has a good deal to say about that in chapter 4. Now, why the Apostle Paul didn't structure his uh, epistle to the Philippians to line up with our fall sermon series here so it would land perfectly on that Stewardship Sunday? I don't know, but we're going to jump ahead this week to chapter 4, and then we'll jump back and and finish up uh, Philippians over the next couple of weeks. So that's where we are in chapter 4, looking at verses 14 through 20. Again, if you don't have a copy of the handout that's along the inside aisle of the pews. Uh, You might pass that along because we've got a lot of verses and things that I do want us to look at today. Uh, As we look at this uh, book, as we look at this uh, particular passage, we are getting a glimpse again on the Apostle Paul. He is in prison at this time, having uh, in the past uh, been a part of planting and launching this church in Philippi, which is just north of the Aegean Sea off of the uh, Mediterranean. Uh, he has uh, sent, sent word that he's needed some help. They've sent some help to them. This church in Philippi is a church that was known for giving along the way at different points. Now the Apostle Paul is in prison, and again he's communicating back with them, encouraging words for them, a church that's taking seriously, as we look throughout the scope of the Scriptures, they were a church that took seriously the call to, to give, and Paul is, wants to thank them for that and encourage them in that giving, and I think he shares similar things with us as well today as we gather this congregation in this place. So I invite you to look with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. You can stand with me if you would. I'll read it aloud as you read along silently. Paul says this, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. As you do, let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would bless and work, particularly in this time as we spend looking at your word on topics that challenge all of us, are somewhat challenging for me to share as a pastor and also challenging in various places for us to receive. But we thank you that your word is good for us in the places where it encourages us and also the places where it challenges us. We thank you that you love us. And so you've given us your word to direct us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, several sports networks 
aired a shocking story this week about 18-year NFL veteran Mark Brunel. Brunel had played for eight of those years for the Jaguars, accumulating some $50 million in payment for his services as quarterback, and then has also worked, I believe, for the Redskins, the Jets, and the Saints was actually back up to Drew Brees, I think, the Super Bowl year. Believe it or not, Brunel has a better playoff percentage winning uh, rate pass completion than even Peyton Manning. Brunel was a successful NFL quarterback. And the shocking news was that this week, as Brunel comes into his retirement fairly soon, or may already have retired from the NFL, he will be taking a job in medical sales, hoping to make about $60,000 a year because he is flat broke. Every dime, every penny that he had and made is gone through various frivolous investments and other things from all reports. He's an upstanding guy, maybe too trusting, perhaps. Every penny is gone. Money's a tricky thing, isn't it? Whether we feel like we've got a lot of it or a little bit of it, it seems to disappear rather quickly from our hands often. It's, dom it's a dominating thing in our thoughts a lot of the time, and it drives many of our fears. Money's a tricky thing. But it can also, as we read in these verses, be used to the tremendous glory and joy and beauty of God and His kingdom. As we read in these verses, it can be a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. We want to talk about this today as we look at Philippians and as we jump to several other verses around the Scriptures. You've got a handout for you that will guide you along the path of where we're headed. The main idea, I think, that Paul wants to to drive home to us in this particular verse, and we will certainly travel down some other pathways in the next few minutes so that we can get a full picture of this area of giving. But the main idea here is that God calls us into partnership in the gospel mission. God calls us into partnership in the gospel mission, which means partnership in giving and receiving in giving and receiving. Well, as we think about these matters, and you've already heard some folks from our congregation share, and that kind of sharing, of course, gets us thinking about these uh, thoughts and these issues. What are the things that really cause us to struggle so much in this area of partnering with God in His mission through giving, and we'll see even through receiving? What, what are those things that keep us from moving forward in it? Well, a couple I laid out for us. One, I would just call that these are things that I see in my own life. Uh, these are just, you know, self. I, you wonder sometimes, okay, where does Chris get these things? Well, some of them I just look at myself and discover what's in my own heart. So these are some things that I can think of. Perhaps they apply to you. The uh, first one I think that holds us back is just sheer unbelief. 
unbelief, uh, um, an unwillingness, an unreadiness to actually believe the promises of God that we say we hold to this Word of God, but we really struggle to apply it. Places like, uh, in fact, Dax referenced it, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. The first part of that is, is this encouragement slash warning don't lay up treasures for yourself here on earth where moth and rust break in and destroy, but lay up for yourselves instead treasures in heaven. You've got to believe that passage in order to act on it. It's an issue of belief, is it not? And really, the whole gospel itself is it's an issue of belief in the gospel in general. If if we really say that God of the universe created us, that we were fallen lost in sin, and he sent his son into the world to redeem us and save us and rescue us, then clearly that means our lives are not our own. Clearly that means we've experienced grace and, and the giving nature of, of God. So it's a, a call for us to live differently. We say we believe that, but this is an area specifically for us to demonstrate our belief in the actual core of the gospel, in our salvation. It plays out in how we handle our resources. Insecurities, another one for us. I mean, let's, let's face it. Uh, the tangible stuff of this life, we see it, we touch it, we have it before us, houses and cars and 401Ks. We, we feel like we can, we've got it right there before us, and it's easy to trust in those things. Uh, Luke chapter 12 is one passage, and we will jump to a few different verses today. So if you want to have your Bible handy, that's great. Or if you uh, didn't have one with you this morning, there's some along the end of the pew. Just bump the person next to you and ask them to hand it down if you need one. But this is a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12. We think about security and where we try to put our security. I'm just reading to you the words of Jesus. That's what these are. He tells a parable, he says, The land of a rich man, in verse 16, actually, of of Luke 12, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to to himself, listen, listen with me to the pronouns in here, just track with me. He thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, that's interesting, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night, of your, soul, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. It's easy to try to find our security in those things, and Jesus cautions us against the great danger of doing that. So security. Pride is kind of wrapped up all, all in this. You know, having money, even if it's just a little bit or a little bit more than the person next to you or than your parents or family had growing up, it makes you feel big, doesn't it? Feeds our pride to be able to go buy something when we want to buy something or to have it sitting in a bank somewhere and feel like that makes us feel big. Greed, of course, is a big one as well in this topic, and tied to that is this issue of contentment. And again, the scriptures have so much to say about this. First Timothy 6 alone has, is replete with verses about this issue. Uh, the Apostle Paul reminds us there, 
those who desire, that means what, that's what you want, that's what you're aiming towards, those who desire to be rich actually fall into hurtful desires that plunge men into destruction. Well, these are a few things that keep us from moving forward in this area. And here's a couple of verses I've already read that Jesus and others in the Scriptures speak to this topic. Let's zoom back into Philippians for a minute. I think that'll be enough for us to introduce this topic to our hearts in case we were wondering, in case you felt like if you didn't have a struggle in this area, I think we all do on one of these accounts, whether it's unbelief, insecurity, pride, greed, or discontentment. So Philippians chapter 4, let's look there. We want to look at just three things this morning. The first is the opportunity, and it absolutely is an opportunity, folks, and I hope we're learning to, to, to believe that way. I really appreciated what uh, Dax and Kathy shared about just learning and growing in this area. Because it's just like every other area of our spiritual life. It's about taking steps. It's about moving forward. And there is a place of obedience and certainly a place of disobedience. But it's about moving towards the Lord in those areas. And that's what, that's what we're talking about here this morning. And one of these things is partnership and mission. We're going to talk about that for a second. Then partnership in receiving and partnership in giving as well. Look with me at verse 15. It says that the Philippians, this is in Philippians chapter 4, we're back there. It says, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left uh, Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Again, I mentioned earlier, this is the church, these Philippian believers who Paul wants to encourage because they have been taking steps. They have been growing in this, and they've been entering into partnership, not just in some financial arrangement, but partnership in the gospel mission. In fact, the, the Apostle Paul says in the beginning of the gospel, that's kind of an interesting wording. What is he talking about there in the beginning of the gospel? Well, he speaks to it back at the beginning of Philippians. You don't need to turn there. But he's praying in the beginning of Philippians in verse 5, chapter 1, He's praying and praising God, and he says he praises God for the Philippians because of their partnership in the gospel, their partnership in the mission of extending the gospel. They not only are part of seeking to build the church community by inviting uh, neighbors and gathering for worship and, and building up the church body locally where they are, but they've been involved in helping the Apostle Paul as he's on his journey in Thessalonica, as it says here, now as he's in prison. At other points along the way, he's supporting the mission of Paul. Now, Paul was interesting because he was both the church planter and then he went on to plant other churches. So he's a missionary and a church planter at the same time. So he commends them for this, for their partnership in the mission. And I just want to remind you, I hope God is giving you a heart for the mission of our church. This mission, we, we, I say it each week, I just repeated it a few minutes ago, we do it in large part each week for the reminder for our, our guests and visitors to know what we're about, but this really is, this is what the, the heartbeat, I believe, of the Lord is, to see people growing in God's Word and truth. It's transforming for us if we begin to do that. Absolutely the heart of God for us to connect in community, live in community, and to be helping other people from the larger community see the beauty of the gospel through having relationships, deeper relationships than just the surface. And then serving in the kingdom where absolutely 
part of that. And, of course, that takes resources to uh, propel and fulfill that mission. It takes resources to meet in here each week for an office space, certainly resources for our church staff as well. It takes resources for things. We think about our mission for things like kids camp this summer. Kids camp is mission. That's what we're doing. When you have 100 kids like we did or almost 100 this week, that, this year that came to that, and 20, 25 of them being little children that we've never encountered or met as a church, some of them very obviously from a different spiritual religious background, that's mission. That's the mission of the church going forward. That's mission. When we have a Bible study in our office, that's mission. When uh, Harrison or myself meets with someone in the congregation who's struggling or working through a spiritual issue or otherwise, that's mission. When our youth leaders take the kids bowling and they invite a friend or two, that's mission going on. Of course, when we support missionaries, that's mission as well. We are in mission as a church. And what I want us to be encouraged by today, and I'm not, there's no zero attempt here to kind of butter, butter our muffin, if you will, as a congregation, but I am encouraged, and I hope you are as well, that I think this, like this church in Philippi, was, had a reputation for being a church that was ready to step out in faith and commit their resources to God. I think God's doing that through our church as well. And I think we should be encouraged by that along the pathway. The reason I say that is um, we every year, I'll just give you one example from our church budget. Every year, we, since we've started as a church, we have painted ourselves into a corner of faith budgetarily. We have put ourselves in a corner of faith and said that we are going to anticipate spending and growing as a church at least $100,000 beyond what we actually expect or have received in pledges. That's a step of faith. That's an exciting thing for me. It's exciting to step out in faith. It's even more exciting and encouraging to see how God has honored that all along the way, that God has blessed us by allowing us to extend that mission and reach those goals each and every year, and I pray be able to reach that again this year. That's partnership in mission, in the mission of the church. And I hope you're encouraged by it today. I really hope you are. Second thing we see in these verses, pardon me while I take a little sip of water here. Second thing we see in these verses is this partnership in receiving. Okay, here's an interesting thing. Paul doesn't just say that these folks are uh, giving, but he actually says that they're receiving. So let's tackle that first. What are they receiving exactly? Now, you know, you think about it, if you, some of us in here perhaps have some kind of financial advisor, somebody we go to to talk to about financial matters or handle investments and other things, retirement and whatnot, and, and those guys like to talk about an ROI, an ROI. That's a return on investment, a return on investment. What am I going to get for these resources? And the interesting thing, the radical thing about the kingdom of God is that Jesus not only gives us salvation, gives us all the resources that we now enjoy, but he gives us the blessing of being able to receive a return on our investment. It's not quite what you think so. If you think I'm sounding like a TV preacher or starting to, uh, I'll steer you clear of that in just a minute. 
Because the thing that we receive, if you look with me in these verses, in verse 17, the first thing it tells us we receive is fruit. Fruit. Paul says he doesn't seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What's he saying is the same thing Jesus said elsewhere in the Gospels. When Jesus said that if you want me to pour out spiritual fruit, spiritual growth in your life, you want to know me and walk with me more, then show me that you can handle these worldly things, like money. If you can handle that, then I'll be delighted to pour out further spiritual blessing and growth through that. So we receive that kind of fruit from the Lord. Now, you, you think about the things that we kind of run after receiving, the return on investment. We've all seen that commercial on TV with the, the numbers up above people's heads. You know, and we, we're, I'm not saying, you know, we're not to save for retirement and save for other things, but it is fascinating. The one with, you know, it's got $1,407,336. The next guy's got $2,453,225. You know, this little number floating around above their head for an investment company. Okay, I'm not saying we don't have a place to do that, but isn't it fascinating that all of us would say, I don't want to be a number. I don't want my life to be a number. And yet, that's what they're inviting us to make our life into. My life is going to be all about getting that number. And uh, that's what all my work is going to be about now while I'm young. If you're in your 20s and 30s, and when you're in your 40s, it's going to be about trying to keep that thing. And then when you get to retirement age, it's going to be trying to figure out how to allocate that. That's what life is going to be about. Jesus is calling us to so much greater of a return on investment. When he invites us to invest our lives in the kingdom, we're going to receive, he says, spiritual fruit. I like what Tertullian says, and I think it's on your sheet there. He says, he asked this question. Boy, if we would take this one to heart. He says, can a man be poor if he is free from want? If he does not covet the belongings of others, if he's rich in the possession of God. Rather, he is poor who possesses much but still craves for more. So that's a blessing we can receive. If we've begun to grow at all in our lives in contentment, we see what a blessing that is. All the worry that we don't have to deal with, all the frustration we don't have to deal with, what a blessing that is. These scriptures also remind us that we receive material provision. That God gives us material provision. He cares. Uh, As we've already shared and talked about this morning, He numbers the hairs on our heads. He clothes the lilies of the field, the Scriptures remind us. So He's going to take care of us. And in verse 19 of Philippians 4, Paul reminds us of the same thing. He says, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He's going to provide everything we need doesn't say it's going to provide everything we want. That's where we, we change. That's where we've got to change perspective in the kingdom. But he is going to provide everything we need. And lastly, under this point, he's going to give to us, receive, we will receive, as we are trusting in him, certain blessings in eternity. Certain blessings in eternity. Uh, John Bunyan, that Puritan who wrote Pilgrim's Uh, progress and spent time like Paul in prison for his faith he says whatever good thing you do for him for the Lord 
if done according to his word, is laid up for you as treasure chests and coffers to be brought out and rewarded before both men and angels to your eternal comfort. I've talked about this in the past, so I won't dive into it in depth. But when Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 that we mentioned earlier, when he says that if we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, that we have the opportunity to do that, I think he means that a lot more literally than we might like to think. He's not just going off on a bit of hyperbole and exaggeration to kind of motivate giving. There is something. I don't know what it's going to be like. I can't define it. The Scriptures don't give us a lot of definition to it. But there is something about our eternal reality, folks, that is going to be affected by how we handle the resources that God has given to us here. Again, he doesn't... uh, He doesn't uh, ask us uh, to do more than than with what we've got. You remember that parable of the widow that took and the man who took all this money and resource and made a big show of it, and then you have the widow that just took the one little coin. She did what she could with what she had. But we receive eternal blessings, we find out. And lastly, what I want us to talk about this morning is a partnership certainly in giving. It's all through these verses. I think you can see it clearly here in Philippians chapter 4. Paul is talking to a congregation that's been giving. I've put in the uh, pews for you an article taken from Randy Alcorn's uh, book, and I do hope you'll take it with you. It's just pretty much impossible in a short time of a sermon to really cover in depth this topic of tithing. I will tell you that article is not for the faint of heart. In fact, I will tell you, I'll even go this far. I can't believe I admit this. I took out two or three pages of that article that I thought might be too challenging for all of us to swallow at this point. They are just, he just shoots straight on. He's a, he's a straight shooter. But if you want to, if you're, if you're hearing what we're talking about this morning, if the Lord's moving, if you heard what uh, Dax and Kathy shared and what I'm sharing from, from God's Word as well, if you want to take another step, if you're thinking about what it looks like to get to this place of, of tithing, Uh, and what it means to give in that way, I I hope you will pick up that article and read it. Maybe you've kind of been at that place, and and you realize actually in the Scriptures, this is going to be challenging for us to hear, that tithing, which really means giving a tenth, the word tithe means a tenth. We use it sort of generically for any donation given, but it actually means a tenth. The, The reality is, as Alcorn explains in that article, the Bible treats the tithe as really a training wheels, a starting place for giving. It's not the ending point. That's the starting place for giving. I want to encourage you to, to, to look at that article and I'll also mention to you Malachi. You can turn back there if you want to. Malachi is the very last uh, book in the Old Testament. Very last book in the Old Testament. And it has some things uh, for us to, to hear about this. And let me just say, folks, we're, it takes a little time, some time for us to walk through these important issues and so forth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run a little bit long on the sermon today, so just prepare yourself. It's going to take a couple more minutes for us to get this. I really want to talk about these things. The Lord's really laid them on my heart, and I hate to just cut everything uh, short right now just to try to hit a 30-minute uh, mark, so, uh, so bear with me here. I think these are good things for us to hear, and we are coming towards a close. But uh, Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, uh, speaks to these matters. And it speaks very directly as well. Very directly. 
and I don't say this to dismiss the good encouragement that, that I've given, you've already heard today, to kind of begin to take a first step. I absolutely believe in that. At the same time, there is at some point of, of some black and white with this tithing reality and giving reality, and I've never really preached to us about it as a congregation or talked to us about it in depth other than in the membership class. So I want to take a minute to just talk about it today. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, this is the Lord God speaking through Malachi to the people of God who have wandered away from God in all kinds of ways and are dealing with the consequences of that, are feeling the burden of it. And one of the issues is in their giving. It says here, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You're cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. I will not open, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Those are some challenging verses, aren't they? They're challenging because it says that they are apparently, look with me in verse 8, they are giving some kind of tithes and contributions, but they are not doing it to the level that God has called them to. It's a challenging verse because it talks about a curse being on them. It's also an incredibly encouraging verse because God doesn't have, this is the beauty of the Lord and His grace, He doesn't have to give them sort of any encouraging word in the midst of this. He could just say, hey, I've called you. I'm the Lord God. I've called you and told you what to do, and you've failed to do it. He actually tells them that if they'll do it, then he'll open up these floodgates. He'll open the windows of heaven and bring down blessing upon them. He does the same for us, as I've already shared, with receiving. So that's by way of considering this tithe, and I would really encourage us as a congregation. It's not so much about our church or church budgets or the ministry and so forth, but it's really about what God calls us to, to respond to Him in obedience because of His grace and mercy in our lives. And the joy of seeing that, the privilege of doing that, He gives us all His commands, folks. He really, really does. He gives us all of His commands for our Therefore, are good. And we may not even be able to, to see it, to see the way that it's working to our good. It may just feel like a pinch on our wallet or like we've got to restructure things financially and we can talk about all the things that someone could do. Maybe some here would even feel like they need to come and meet with some of our church uh, elders or deacons. There's uh, some folks in there I know that are used to helping people with financial matters. And maybe you say, I really want to get there. I don't know how to, to do this. I'm struggling with debt. I'm struggling with other issues. My whole financial picture is out of whack. I need some help. Goodness, we want to help you with that because these matters flow over into life, all of life. They flow over into marriage. I appreciate as well Dax and Kathy talking about how their marriage, did you hear what they said? Their marriage grew through this area. We all face those struggles over finances. Well, it begins, folks, can I challenge you, it begins with what God calls us to do, with our resources. The 
We can talk about logistics. We can talk about practical ways to not buy that new car if you're tempted to buy it and don't have the resources for it or to turn off the cable for six months so you can support the missionaries or to downsize a house or to live on a budget actually instead of just a suggestion. I know that the Peters family is guilty of that, having something called a budget, but it's really just a suggestion sometimes uh, for us. Uh, We can certainly talk about those kind of things. But the biggest thing for us is really going back to where I started with us today. And that is a sense that the gospel is working in our lives. Let me explain to you what I mean. If we're caught, captured, drawn up into the glory of Christ because he's at work in our lives, then the things of this life are going to look really different. We're going to have a different perspective. And eternity's going to look far more important and will care about those kind of things. That's what the gospel of God's grace and his mercy shown to us through Christ does. We're going to see as well, like I just said, that actually God's commands are good for us. It might be enjoyable, as a matter of fact, for us to follow him. The gospel teaches us that. The gospel teaches us as well that we've, we've got all the love, the significance, the honor that we need through Christ. And so we don't have to get honor and significance through making a little bit more than the guy down the street or having a little bit bigger house or having that nicer outfit or suit or that bigger TV or electronic or whatever it is that we kind of run to. The gospel frees us up. We don't have to worry about those things. And lastly, the gospel frees us up to this kind of partnership in the gospel, folks. All of us say, I think, if you caught us off at a lunch conversation, do you want your life to count for something? Do you want your life to be meaningful? Every one of us would say, absolutely. I long for that, probably, we would say. What an opportunity to do that, to partner with God in his mission, in his mission of spreading the gospel, spreading the gospel around the world, Part of why we do our pledges together of the, the world missions uh, opportunity to support through the missions fund. And you've got a place for you to indicate that and turn that in next week. And also our local church. Because those two things are intertwined. We don't need to pull them too much apart. The mission here is the mission for the world. I invite you to consider how the Lord would have you to take another step in participating in that. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do praise you and thank you for your word and even for the places where it challenges us. And we thank you for the beauty of your promises to us. Oh, Lord, that you've given us everything and then you still promise to give things back to us for how we simply use what you've given to us. It's unbelievable, Lord. And yet uh, we find ourselves uh, so blinded to that reality by the things that are right in front of us. Oh, Lord, free us up to greater contentment in you. Free us up to run after this mission. Lord, this mission of partnership with you in the gospel. We pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen.